Most of us, if you have any form of background or understanding into Scripture, are kind of aware of the fact that somewhere down the line, this really old guy with a beard crawls up on, goes on the top of a hill and gets some encounter with God and comes back with a couple tablets with Ten Commandments. By the way, it's not exactly the way it plays out in Scripture. Actually, he gets it at the bottom of the hill. Everyone's still hearing it. He comes up afterwards. But, but in all of that, that becomes one of those sort of paramount moments for which people make four-hour movies of, which, interestingly, if three and a half of the hours of the movies really don't have any scriptural basis. Uh, and so it's mostly fiction. And, but people kind of build from it. And, you know, and if kind of your understanding of Christianity is kind of what you've seen from a culture or from a slogan or from some television program, it's more than likely what you've seen has been at best convoluted, but more than likely something horribly worse, contaminated. In Scripture, what we find, by the way, is that there were a group of people who were slaves for 400 years. 430 years, they were in a land that wasn't their own, the land of Egypt. God had promised a man named Abram, Abraham, that the fourth generation from those that went in would actually come out again. They'd be in a land that wasn't their own. They would come out rich, even though they'd been impoverished prior to that point. And the people, by the way, that, was, that were once their torturers and tormentors will then be their blessers in the sense that they will give them things. They would come out and they would ultimately return to a land that God had promised them. The reason he hadn't given it to them right then, because the current occupants of that land were in a place where they could repent. They could turn to him. But God knew the day when they would, their hearts would be irreversibly hardened. And it was time then to forfeit the land and give it to these people. Now, now with all of that, this man who seems like the least likely candidate for the deliverer of the people argues with God at his calling, much like most of you would. We have no doubt that God has an infinite power. If we're going to call him almighty, it's kind of a duh that he has all might. The problem more than likely is how he interfaces with us and exactly how much of that might he might display through us. I mean, that becomes a big issue here. And I don't doubt God could stop the earth. He could make the sun and he could turn it pink or turn it into a giant chicken if he wanted to. But I have a bigger problem thinking God could actually do something for me personally, even if it was something small. And I feel even embarrassed to ask God for something little while I tell other people God has the cattle on a thousand hills. I call him the great physician. Now, I can't demand God to heal me because I know that God's biggest issue is not my physical health. The biggest issue to God, the most important thing to the living God, is your relationship with him. Everything he does is operated from that as his paradigm. And if the only time that you actually want to hang out with him is when you're sick, it's amazing he ever has you well. If the only time you ever really cry out to him is in the middle of a trial, it's amazing he ever removes you from it. And if the only time you have a conversation with him was hanging off a cliff, I think he'd rather strengthen your hands than pull you off of it. Because what he really wants is you. And we go, God, I would really like my life to be more comfortable, more easy. And God says, I'd really, I'd really like your life to be more me. And so this man argues with God much like most of us would. Not because God's anything that we would doubt. But he says, who am I? And it's funny when we argue with God, because if you think about it, what we try to do is inform the all-knowing of something that would give him a little bit more sympathy to who he's choosing. Perhaps you're unaware of the fact, but I'm a man slow of speech. 
Which is interesting, because when we get to the New Testament, it's testified that he was eloquent. I don't know how that works. He writes the first worship song in Scripture. Now, whether that was rap or not, I don't know. Well, he was, uh, 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 I don't really know, no. But whatever it was, he goes for it. And after God delivers the people, and that's, by the way, if I remind you, and I, can I say this, let me remind you, deliverance isn't removal. He removes the people in chapters 12 through 14 after a series of blows to take down everything that the Egypt worships so that the Egyptians as well as the Israelis would know that he's the only God worth worshiping. And God will always do that. The benefit of a Christian is that we know that our God is the one God that doesn't change, doesn't have to, because he's perfect. Any change would be a bad idea if he's perfect to start with. And that he promises to take care of his own. David would say, I'm old, I'm young, but now I'm old. I was old. I'm sorry, let's try that again. I was young, and now I'm old. See what happens? Dyslexic. Dyslexics are, you know, people poo. Anyways, but... um. And he says, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging bread. And he looks at David at his older life, who, by the way, has made some really dumb choices throughout his life, kind of looks back and goes, you know what, though? You never bailed on me. You never left me. There are times I would say, why aren't you doing what I told you you should do, Lord? But you never left me. You never forsook me. You always took care of me. Please follow me on this. Deliverance is not removal. And these people who had spent over four centuries in Egypt need to recognize that everything that they have known, listen, 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 everything that is honored, exalted, adulated, is a lie. That's what they're going to have to conclude. That's a really rough sobering. But I had textbooks with glossy diagrams. But I had movies I saw and experts and really eloquent people with cool accents and long, big glasses and long cigars and lots of letters before and after their name. And God says, but if it doesn't line up with me who knows everything, it's a lie. In the beginning of Exodus, Exodus is the Greek word for exit. You kind of get the idea where God's going with this. He says, it's time to show you everything you know is a lie so that you can call on me the one thing that will never change and is not a truth, but the truth. And you'd say, how dare you say, I didn't have to, he did. He'll prove it to you. And then with that, they are being, they are removed. It's the death of the firstborn. It's the death of the Lamb of God. And then God begins the eradicating of Egypt out of you as He's now pulled you out of Egypt. From chapters then 12 to 15, we get to the Red Sea. And to the Red Sea, God wants to show you so much more than just He can get you out of your current bondage. It would be one thing for Juan to have had a problem with the justice system in Spain. You, you just can't escape it, can you? And, and for Juan to know that there is the Spanish mafia looking for him. 
Exactly. And so here's the problem. It's one thing for him to be removed and to be moved to France or someplace else or England. Okay, well, careful. Now, now follow me on this. As that is the case, he'll, those people still live. And because those people still live, he can always look over his shoulder, even if they're not there. And what God did in Exodus 15 was profound, 14 and 15, because by 14, he takes all of these enemies, brings them to the water as they're in hot pursuit of Israel, and then as they walk through the Red Sea with walled up on both sides, as God stands up the deep, as we read in the, the book of Psalms, and they walk through, they have the privilege of watching those that used to torture them completely covered in water, so that God can show you this will never be a threat again. Never again. God could have just said, you're out of Egypt, but you would always wonder when Egypt would show up again. But God killed it. He killed it there. And now that that's the case, now begins that process. And from 15 to 19, God has walked us around and started to show us new things about him that he can provide for us. He can quench our thirst, that he can fulfill our hunger. Those things that we, by the way, will be terrible witnesses if we say, I gave my life to Jesus, but I'm still so hungry, I'm still so thirsty, and I'm going out and I'm getting drunk, and I'm going out and having sex, and I'm chasing after this and that because I still am so empty inside. But Jesus will fill you up completely, and nobody's going to buy that. They should and then after God kind of nails all that down where the people grumble and complain and murmur and grumble and complain and murmur we get to 19 when God says now let's start laying out some things because I have some really important rules to set for you now, please understand and this is what makes the difference between Christianity biblical religion and every other religion Every other religion says, you're messed up, here are your laws to make you better. God says, you're messed up, God, the God of the Bible, the real one, God says, you are messed up, we're all aware of that, let me pull you out, and then set up some boundaries so you don't go back into your bondage. The difference is who does the delivering, and God's our deliverer. And with that then, remember we looked at this acronym, Be Holy. God wants with every one of his laws, the 613 laws that he lays out, including the 10 plus all of the ones he lays out for the judges, as he lays out this standard where it's like, look it, I want you to recognize all the scripture is going to bring us to Jesus. It's good for our health. Some of those laws, it's like, don't eat bat. Now, when was the last time any of you ate bat? Now, I was in Russia. I think they called it chicken. I think it was bat. Anyway, but, but, but in the end of it all, there's certain things, and there's some things you're like, I wouldn't eat that anyways, except on a dare. But God's like, look it, I want to keep you healthy. And that was part of it. Part of it was an opportunity to obey the one we called Lord. Part of it was to leave the Egypt we left behind, and part of it was to yearn for God in the new place. And so Moses goes up and down the mountain. He's 80 years old, and he goes up and down the mountain three times in, in the book of, uh, in chapter 19. And as he gets down the third time, God gives the Ten Commandments. He speaks them so that everyone can hear while Moses is still down there. And then he goes, now come on up, boy. Lose paraphrase. Now can I say again, please, don't ever just believe me. Search the scriptures let the Bible be that for which you hold all things to be true or false. That book has been challenged, tested, and proven. I can just say, challenge everything you hear by it. And he calls them up and he says, now that we've got the Ten Commandments, now that we've laid that out, 
Let's talk about building an altar. First thing, because God knows man will never be able to hold those commandments. And therefore, let's show you where I meet you. I'm going to meet you at a place where sacrifice happens. And it's not at the top of the hill. It's at the bottom of the hill. Because if it's at the top of the hill, and this is the way we treat people sometimes, it's like clean up your act, and then you can get up there to be with God. But that's not what God's saying. Praise the Lord, the idea of it is, you're a mess, it's okay, I'm a mess, look at it. At the end of it all, every testimony is this, I was a jerk, God saved me, I'm a saved jerk. Guess what? You're a jerk, God saved you if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you're a saved jerk, congratulations. It's like, well, I'm an African jerk, well, I'm a Spanish jerk, yeah, but we're jerks, that's the blessing of it. Now, your jerkdom may be different from mine, but in the end of it all, it's the Savior, who can I just say, I want to just get a shirt that says, Jesus saves jerks, there you go. Now, praise God. Some of you might be too proud for that, but I'll be honest, I'm not. I'm so proud of my humility. Anyways, so follow me on this, right? So he's like, all right, now look, at, let's get that altar. But that altar's at the bottom of the hill because I can't, I'm not going to make Lorraine go up that hill. I'm going to come down to meet her there. See, the difference is God's the one who's coming down to meet you where you're at. I'm not telling you, you need to clean your act up and get there. If you do this pillar and you make this trip and you do this this many times a day and you go and you do this and you make sure you've given this much and you make sure you're attending this and in the end of it all, what you're doing is you're kind of bringing all this and saying, well, is this enough to get me up the hill? But if God already came down to the hill, the reason is, is that if God really wants a relationship with you, why would he make it hard on you? So with that then, chapter 19, Moses has gone up and down and up and down. I remind you, he's 80. Third time. Now he goes up. Let's do that now. And then he goes, let's lay out some simple laws for those guys that you've let to judge things so that they can judge appropriately and consistently. And that's where we've been in the last couple chapters. Now, interesting, we're at Mount Sinai. We made it there in chapter 19. And for what it's worth, we will be here in Mount Sinai for what it's worth for quite a while. And as we're going to be here for quite a while, and I just want you to know that in, in regards to this, that, that the Lord really has some really cool things. Now, ultimately, now it's time to head back down the mountain and start laying all of that out for the people. And interesting, what God tells Moses is, go and get some people. Look at it with me, chapter 24, verse 1. Now, he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadav and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone, though, shall come near the Lord. They shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. Now, this is where we started. God has called now Moses to actually, he's already up there. But he says, no, come on up, but this time come up with your brother. Now, Aaron, I want to remind you, is his brother. He's 83, so it's his older brother. And he has four kids, for what it's worth. Now, I, I know that, and he, we're going to see here in a moment, he's going to bring his oldest two up here, and that's going to be, there's a bit of profundity in all of that, too. We left, the, we'll leave the wilderness of Sinai, the place where we're at right now, in Numbers chapter 10, verse 12, which means all of the book of Leviticus, which is, by the way, about a month long, will take place. The first 10 chapters, and then we'll head to Paran, where ultimately we start spying out the land, and we finish, we start wandering. During this particular time, God looks and he says, now look at this, this is the third time you've been up, but I want you to go and get some people with you. And it's interesting because they're not going to go all the way up the mountain. They're only going to go somewhere to the mountain and then stop, which tells me that Aaron and these boys, Nadav and Abihu, by the way, aren't even close to the mountain at this point. 
Moses has gone up. God's like, look, build me an altar. That's where we're going to start. Once Moses is going to go down, he's going to bring these guys up a little bit. And then Moses is going to go up into this. And as he does, then Aaron's going to head and actually govern. And that's when they're going to do that ridiculous golden cow thing. We'll get there in chapter 33, 34. And that will be the next time Moses will head down. He'll be there for 40 days, 40 nights without eating or drinking anything. Now, follow me on this. God says, now come up to the Lord. And interesting, he and the elders are going to see God in this. And we're going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does that work? We'll get there in a moment. Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Arun. And Nadav and Abihu. Can you say Nadav? Nadav means liberal. Now, I don't know why a person names their kid liberal, but just the same. Can I just say there's a little bit of a concern with that? And then the name Abihu. Can you say Abihu? Ab means father. Who means him? So it means he's my dad. I know what dad names his kid? He's my dad. But then you have people like Ner and then his and then his son Abner, which means Ner's my dad. Imagine that. But let's be honest. Where did you get the name Johnson from? Well, or McMahon. You're probably where the fact Mick means son of, right? So well, follow me on this. So God says, come on up and bring your brother and bring his two oldest kids with him. And I want you to worship from afar. Before and without the, the addition of Jesus to things, that tends to be the way that it works. I, now, before I gave my life to Jesus, I was determined not to be a Christian. I'll be honest. And the reason was simple. I was in America, and I thought, isn't that what Americans are? And what I saw of Christianity was cheap and shallow and plastic and fake. Now, that's not all Christianity by any means, but what I saw was not appealing to me. But I had a heart for something transcending. And I read every book I could get my hands on at the time except the Bible. And I just read them as as objectively as I could. And you know what seemed to be clear to me? Something that actually was able to put in when I was in India. Not on that particular pursuit, but later on. And that is that it seems like everyone seems to worship their gods to keep them away. In Calcutta, Calcutta is named after their god Kali. And the idea that he's a god of destruction. And so they, they do these things. Old men in their 90s roll down hills naked with pieces of broken glass and bone. They stick in the path because if they can torture themselves enough, maybe their god won't torture them. That's sincerely the idea. And I realize how many people do their performances because maybe that will keep their God away. Maybe that wrathful, angry God, maybe he'll let me into some kind of paradise or enlightenment or make me nicer next time or whatever it is. But in the end of it all, there's no real relationship there. There's nobody with open arms saying, oh, Hugo, it's so good to see you. Oh, my goodness. You just don't see that in those books. I mean, what you see is at best somebody with their arms crossed sitting on a judgment throne somewhere and going, "Mm, I guess that's enough, you can go. And then you read the Bible and everything is so different. That somewhere down the line, there is a God who created you for fellowship. And you know how far I had to get the first chapter of Genesis. When God created man and he blessed him. By the second chapter, God had already created everything else, everything else, and he makes man and he says, now, I'm taking the day off. Let's hang out. What kind of God is that? Is that the God that says, I don't know about this? 
you know what, now that I've made you, I'm going to actually take some time off. I'm going to kick up my feet and just watch you perform. And then I'll tell you whether you can stay in Eden or not. And he stands there with like a little box with an X. And you're like, nah, let's try that again. And how do I know that God does spend the day with him? Because it says then the Lord actually, after making man, makes all of these beautiful trees that grow up. And he says, and for him to partake in and they're beautiful to the sight. And they're good for food. God knows how to reach a man. He forms dash and he breathes into him. That's the first thing. God could have said, man, be, but he didn't. He said it with everything else. Light, be, universe, be, world, be. You know, and, and this is loose paraphrases, right? You know, land, be, flowers, be, so forth. And he does all of this stuff. Let everything grow. Okay, let's make animals be. And he could have said, man, be, but he didn't. He forms them, and then he breathes life into a man isn't even living until God made contact. And imagine, your eyes are open, and you're trying to process all this information. And as you're trying to process all this information, God goes, hold on, let me show you something. And then we read, God makes the garden. And as he makes the garden, by the way, Eden, Heden. Heden is the Hebrew word. We get hedonistic from it. It means pleasure. God goes, I'm going to make some place. I'm going to call it fun, pleasure. And he makes this beautiful place. And then we read, God took the man that he had made and put him in it. So he makes this thing and he goes, so what do you think? Dash goes, yeah, spot on. He goes, cool, you want, you want to hang out there? Yeah, let's go. And he puts him in there. And then God makes more things grow that are beautiful to the sight and good for food. So get this. He makes another tree grow, and he goes, what are you thinking? And you're like, that's ah, beautiful. And he goes, try it. And he's like, what does that mean? Stick it in your mouth. Where's my mouth? That thing you've just been talking to me with. Okay. So he grabs this thing. Imagine grabbing a peach, and you put it up. Oh. You didn't even know you had taste buds. And all of a sudden, they start to cramp, and you're like, oh, this is good. This thing's dripping off your face. And God goes, well, hold on. And he makes a second tree. And can you see the delight on God in that? The dad, as he, as he looks like a parent on Christmas Eve waiting for his kids to unwrap the presents, he goes, well, I'll try this one. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, okay, by, by the third one, I got the routine. How about you? By the third one, it's like he makes like a watermelon. He's like, oh, poof, right? oh these are great. Seeds falling off his face. This is awesome. And God goes, I thought you would like that. You realize that was what God intended between us and him. That's not a God who created us as an experiment. That's a God who created us for fellowship. And that's where the Lord wants us again. I mean, the moment I accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, the only God who was willing to die on my behalf because he'd rather die than live without me, the only one who wanted me so much that when I hated him, he loved me. When I was running from him, he chased me. and said, you sinned against me, but I'll pay your bill anyways. He says, can we go back to that place? On a right day, I wake up and I, I'm like, all right, where's the garden today, Lord? What do you have for me today? Sometimes that literally is walking around going, that restaurant, I'll try that one. <laughs> Stick my face in that. There are other days where it'll be more like that person. I just want to spend the day and watch what you're doing with that person. And you guys are some of the most beautiful things in the garden I've ever seen. I mean, I'm not, I don't take a collection here, so you're safe, right? I mean, I'm saying that genuinely because it's true, created for fellowship. That's the difference in this. And God says, no, look, come on up. Now, wait a minute. Come on up. But God has already pulled you out of your bondage. Listen to that. He's already pulled you out of your bondage. And he goes, now it's time to come up. But now it's works? Well, wait a minute. Now that's, isn't that the way that works? 
Right? How many of us actually think that way? I know that Jesus saved. I, I was like a sinner going to hell. I was terrible. I hated life. I was kicking puppies and slapping nuns. And it was horrible. And I stole kids pudding in a lap. And I'd stick it on the floor. And then I'd rub it in their face. And then Jesus saved me. Because I couldn't save myself. Now I've got to work off the rest of my sins. Where does that come from? But do you see it happens? He didn't say, Moses, clean up your act. Let's go up. He says, he says look at, I, I, you already know me. We read that God spoke to Moses like a guy talks to his friend. Is that weird to think? Hey, Moses, what's up? I mean, God already knows. Hey, God, things are good. Good. Well, today, let's come, come on up with me. But go get your brother. Go get his kids. Here's the most amazing thing. And not to give away the story, I love to do that when people are like, how did that movie go? Oh, they all die. <laughs> Anyways, I, just, I could get hired not to, to get people not to see a movie. Um, those two boys, Nadav and Abihu, are going to get fried by Leviticus 10, offering a profane fire to God. Listen to that. They are priests' kids that God goes, bam! And then he says to their dad, don't cry. Don't even cry over it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd think, what just happened? And when I'm introduced just a few chapters before this to these two boys, and all I read is that this guy, his, his brother, found this gal. He loved her. And, well, we don't even read that. He just married her, and whether he did or not. And then they had four kids, and these are the two oldest. That was the first time I met him. This is the second time, and he says, now call him up a little bit. But ultimately, Dad, Aaron, is going to stay down. We know that because he's the one that's going to help make that calf. That's what's going to happen when Moses is up for those 40 days. I think, wow. And the elders, he tells them to come up with here, none of them are going to go into the promised land unless those are Joshua and Caleb. And I think, how much God calls. These are people who we're going to see in a moment here see God. They see God, but they're not going to make it. How sad is that? I mean, they're going to be at a place where they could tell you, let me tell you my experience with God. And we could go, I'm not sure that was a genuine experience. Oh no, it was a genuine experience. But you know, the one thing they didn't seem like they were really into was the one thing God was, which was a relationship. And we'll see that when we get to Leviticus 10. And, and obviously, and, and here's the thing, first of all, if you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, can I tell you that that's the next thing the Lord's going to tell you is come on up now. Come on up from what? Come on up to a new view. A view now where, where the trials that are, well, you can't stop from coming. You can choose where you're going to be in it. Do you remember the story? It's in John, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, to some degree. You'll see it in Matthew and Mark in a beautiful way where Jesus actually is there on a boat sleeping and then the storm comes. That's one of the two stories. The second then is the second time when Jesus isn't in the boat. He's just fed 5,000. He just found out that John the Baptist has been murdered. He wants to get away and everybody finds him. It would be a good day to get alone. All the reality of the cross being in front of you now that John has died. He seems to forerun every step of Jesus' ministry. But he was also one of Jesus' closest. 
and he's murdered and you think, wow, the reality of all that, man, guys, we need to get alone. And the last thing you think is, wouldn't it be great if we invited 5,000 guys and their families? But he feeds them all, sends them away. The guys are in a storm and Jesus, by the way, comes walking and it says he would have, according to Mark, he would have walked right by him on the water. Now, we can look at that from a lot of perspectives and the fact that Jesus is really cool, scientific. He doesn't drop, he, he walks, right? That's way, way cool. We agree. And for some of us that really like cool tricks, that would be really cool and funky. I'd surf without a board. Think that one out, man. That'd be awesome. Drowned? No way I can drown. All I have to do is stand up. But I'd like you to realize those guys were in the middle of a storm. And in the middle of that storm, Jesus was never in it or under it. Oh, I should say this. He was always on it. Those guys were in it, and it seemed like they were getting under it. It was Peter who says, if it really is you, command me out into the water. No presumption where he says, hey, look at, hey, you know what, if you, I'm going to walk out on the water, catch me if it's really you. That's presumption. Faith says, if you command it, I'll do it. Command me. Jesus says, well, then come. And Peter is the one guy that just got above the storm. Did you get it? But in order for him to get above the storm... He had to go overboard. Don't you just love that word? Because you just know the moment you really fall in love with the Lord, that's exactly the word people will tell you not to do. Right? Hey, Peter, I love you, bruv. And you've always been cool. And you've, like, you've always been Christian, right? Like, we're Christian, right? I mean, we're Christian, bruv. We're Christian. But some guy, like, overboard, man. They've got overboard. I mean, I could be like a lunatic. I'm not a lunatic. I'm a sonatic, for goodness sakes. I, I worship the son of God. Not the sun. Don't miss this with me, though. Because the moment they do that, by the way, take it as a compliment. Because the moment someone gets it, what happens is you're rattling someone's cage because they realize, whoa, there's more to this Christianity thing than just waiting to go to heaven. And you're showing me that. And it's bothering me because I'm actually happy to be lukewarm. Which, by the way, is, can I just dare say, it's an ingredient in vomit to God, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And he says, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Think about that for a second. Congratulations. Let me tell you where you are. Okay, well, follow me on this. Have you ever been in a plane and you rise from a storm and it's not pretty? And you get above the storm. It's still happening. Storm didn't stop. But now all of a sudden you see the sun and the horizon seems like it lasts forever. The storm is still there. The question is, where are you at in it? And the reason I say that is one of the things when the Lord calls you up is he's going to call you up over the storm. So, okay, so what is it? I don't know what your storm is, but I can guarantee you of this. If you get your cues from the world, you'll be gutted. And you know it. Whatever it is. It's a bill. I got gutted. Like what? You didn't expect to get a bill when you bought that? Well, I didn't expect it would be so much. Well, it was the price tag. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. I thought maybe they'd say, you're nice. Give it, have it. It doesn't work that way, right? I'm got is. Whatever it is, it's the thing. And the thing is, is let's face it, storms are going to happen. When Jesus talked about the wise man who built his house on the rock, the, the foolish man who built his house on the sand, let's be honest, in both cases, the storm still came. So don't tell me, well, now that I'm a Christian, there aren't going to be any storms. The issue isn't whether there are going to be the storms. The question is, where am I going to be in it? And God says, come on up here now with me. I'm going to call you up over it. Do you get it? That used to own you. 
And it doesn't. And we live in the place where people go, you know, Christians are like robots. Funny. Well, you know, let's just take a look at what it looks like on the underground. Right? I'm that person going, yeah, I've got my headphones in. I'm like, praise the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. And people are like, right? And this is, everyone's like. And I'm the robot. Right? Yeah. And you just know what would happen the moment I was like, hey, everybody, can I tell you about Jesus? They'd be passing out. They'd be like, oh. oh. They're pressing that green button, the one that they always wondered what would happen when it says, if you see something suspicious, press it. Right? And I'd be like, oh, I'm just, I love you. And the reason I say that is this, is that when you get above things, you are going to be really strange. But let me tell you what else you're going to get above. Bondage. You're going to get above that really silly little value system where everything is governed by the temporary. And I start looking and realizing that if I'm gauging things from eternity, you're so much more important than the iPad 4. As I'm calling you up. But I'd like you to take some people with you. But they're probably not going to go as far as you are. Well, they're not going to. And you can look and you can say, don't use that as your excuse, please. This guy goes, look at I've got a call in your life, Rodrigue. I'm going to call you up, man, above all that stuff. I'm calling you up. And Rodriguez says, that'd be really awesome, but what about, what if they don't go as far? And God says, is that where you're going to stop? Did this become a democracy all of a sudden? Because the Lord's like, I'd love to call you. You know what the one thing is that you're going to be called into? You're going to be called into the fire. You're going to be called into a place where people are going to go, whoa, 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 I am not going into that. And you're going to have the most amazing experience with God you've ever had. You're going to come back and you're going to be Mr. Nightlight. Face is going to be glowing and people go, whoa, 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 something's different about you now. And you're like, what? You may not even know. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, you know, now he goes back. His wife's like, I can't sleep in the same bed with you. I feel like I need an eye mask. You're like, glow. Sorry, honey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, please hear me on that. Because the Lord really wants that. And I can just say, God is calling you higher. But first, if you accepted that gift of the God who wants to be with you, the gift of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go through the text, and it's pretty quick and it's rather short. But please hear me in this. It all boils down to this. God's like, I'm calling you up to me. But here's the most amazing thing. God has never said, crawl, work, strive. I'm just calling you up and I'll be with you every step. God already promised Moses he would never leave him. Which means there's no place Moses is going that the Lord's not going to be. But I thought that's where he was going, up to be with the Lord. Yeah, he's going up to be with the Lord, just not with a lot of other things that would keep him from having the time he was supposed to have with him. You ever have those moments where you wake up and you you had to get somewhere so quick you actually forgot your phone and it was like the worst and then became the best day you've ever had? Moses alone shall come near. In Ephesians 2.13, it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, or by the blood of Christ. We were once far away, but what brought us near was Jesus. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, Now therefore, since you are no longer strangers or foreigners, your fellow citizens with the saints, that means we all, get to, we all have that passport, Members, and we're members of the household of God. 
So Moses came and told, verse 3, Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, here, let's just practice it, just see if you can do it. Here we go, chapter 3, look at the end of it all. All the people said it, here's your part. You ready? It starts with the word all. You with me? Here we go. One, two, three, go. All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. Now, any of you go, yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Yeah, you didn't think so. Do you think anyone was sincere? I do. Maybe I'm just that kind of person. I'm kind of optimistic. But I tend to think people really did believe that. What's funny is they've already heard the Ten Commandments, and by the time Moses is gone for a few days... They're already going to break it. They're going to break the first one just to start with. Now, this won't be the last time, and it isn't the first. In Exodus 19.8, they've already said all that he said will do. They said it here, and then by the time we get to 37, the same thing's going to happen. Only they'll say all that he said will do, and we're going to obey, just in case we needed to add a little more to it. So, verse 4, Moses then writes down the words of the Lord, rose up early in the morning, and built the altar. Remember then God says, that's where I want to meet you? At the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes. Now understand what a pillar is. It's supposed to be a place that says, you belong here. Listen to that. It's a testimony that says, either you were here, or you should be. And the cool thing about a pillar is, it's not like a swing. He didn't build twelve swings where it's like, oh, there you are, and now you're not. And there you are, and now you're not. God built pillars, or I should say in this case, Moses built pillars, but what's a pillar? It's a big rock. He found a big long rock, and he propped it up. And then he found another big long rock and he propped it up. Now understand, please hear me on this. God has never called for you to have a roller coaster life since you've given your life to him. Oh, it's like a it's like a lift. Some days are good, some days are bad, some days I'm happy, and some days I'm gutted, and you that's just not it. Because before we knew Jesus, the circumstances around us dictated everything. Now my, I'm like, my eternity is secure. I'm growing closer to the Lord. Oh, this body may be decaying. And for those who are going to go out and play basketball later, we'll see what happens. But I can guarantee you of this. No matter what the case is, it's not up and down because that part's temporary anyways. And God has lifted me over the overcast. And now as I can see the horizon, that's the eternity. And that doesn't change. Only it gets better because I get more like him now. Because that's a pillar, man. I want you always a pillar. Would you plan it? And I'm planted in the Lord. The only reason why your life should be good and then bad and good and then bad is because you're actually living a swing life with God. It's Sunday, hallelujah, love the Lord. Ah, it's Monday, things are horrible because I'm not really walking with them because I don't want to walk with them because today I'm going to be selfish. Oh, maybe it's Wednesday. I really need to get back in the house of the Lord. It's Wednesday night, praise God. We have another study. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, wait a minute, what's that? Saturday, Thursday, club night. Woohoo! Why don't I feel so close to the Lord? Oh, wait a minute, can't wait for Saturday. By Saturday, you're just like crawling back to church by Sunday. And people go, yeah, wow, where, that's what it's like to be a Christian, huh? No, because what we say is, yeah, praise God, he's for saving, but the world's for fun. Man, that's not it at all. God wants you to be a pillar, be a rock, yo, rocky. And not any of this unstable, shifting sand. Man, and if that's your life, can I just say this, and we'll develop it for just a second. We're near, we're near the end of this, believe it or not. Then in the book of Judges, we have that horrible cycle. Many of you are familiar with it. They get blessed. They turn their back on the Lord for the blessing. They're so cool with their flat screen TV and their brand new Bentley or whatever it is. The thing is that they forget about the one who's caring for them in the first place. And as they turn from him, they do evil in his 
face. That's literally the term in the Hebrew. We see it as in his sight. And then from that, they wind up in bondage because their bondage, in other words, now their life gets miserable. And as once their life gets miserable, they get so miserable that they cry out to God and God sends somebody and delivers them. But the problem is once he delivers them, he blesses them. And as he blesses them, then they start forgetting about him again and the cycle goes over and over and over. But praise God that it isn't like we have the first five books of the Bible, we have Joshua, and then we have Judges for the rest of the Bible. See, that was the cycle. Well, what broke that cycle? When Israel finally got a king. As a matter of fact, that's what we read at the end of, it, of the book of Judges. Is in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own sight. If what you're doing is making it up as you go along, that will be your life. But Jesus deserves to be more than your Savior. It doesn't even say if we confess Jesus as Savior that we'll be saved. We have to confess that he's Lord. That's different. I hope you get that. And for him to be Lord, he's the king who takes the rightful throne. That's what changes the whole judges. And will change that cycle in you too. That will break that cycle. For some of you, maybe you're at that place. It's like, you know what? You're right. I feel like I'm really walking tight with the Lord, but I just, I just know. I just know what's going to happen. I'm going to do something stupid, and this whole thing will start over again. It does not have to. He's called you to be pillars. And it says, he was planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. But he doesn't say, he who actually gets a little dirt and puts it on his head. God wants you planted. And he wants you planted with him. You know, oh, come on, I visit my wife once a week. Why, why don't we have an intimate relationship? Come on, I've invested a little bit. I said I loved her back five years ago. I mean, I don't know what the problem is. I sing songs with her name in it. Isn't that enough? She wrote a book. I read it every once in a while, a little bit here and there. I don't really actually read the book, okay? To be honest, I just kind of flip through and just kind of point and read a sentence and see what that means. But hey, I think I know her. Is that silly? God created you to be with him. Moses wrote all the words down. He rose early in the morning. He built that altar at the foot of the mountain and the 12 pillars he planted, the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5. He sent young men of the children of Israel and he offered burnt offerings, sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Interesting, if those young men are under 20, they will go into the promised land. Moses took half of the blood and put it on the basins. Half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So remember, with the slaying of animals comes the shedding of blood. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And guess what? You have your line again. Verse 7. Take a look. Go ahead and go for it. It says, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And so Moses says, sure. So he took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. And if you think, what kind of sick thing is this? And said, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, the animals are, 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 the animals are slayed as it's the case they collect the blood. Now, they came from Egypt. Blood was an important thing. People drank blood there. When they go actually into Canaan, that was a common practice. They, 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 to this day, there's places where they, they kill animals, they drink the blood. That happens here, and it happens in places like forests for some of those groups that, by the way, tried to get all of their incantations from some movies. We don't want to say who, but some guy, Harold something, Potty. But in all of that, but they, they literally get their books and they do this and they slay animals and they drink their blood because the idea is they think if they can drink the blood of that animal, they can get its power. 
You can get some of its diseases that way. And in all of that, they got the, they, so they kind of get the idea the blood was kind of collected, and they kind of, that's normal. And so, at least as far as what they knew, and then all of a sudden these people say, look, we're going to do it. Now understand, they're bellowing up to this thing, saying their side of the bargain. God had already started in 19 by saying, look it, if you're willing to follow me, if you hold on to what I say, you will be so precious to me. But it's going to be more than that, because you're already that. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to make you a priest. In other words, I'm going to give you the privilege of taking the burdens of people and bringing them to me, and I'm going to give you the blessing of taking my love and bringing it to them. That's what a priest does, and I want you to do that. But for that to happen, I want you to obey me. Why would I want you a priest that doesn't obey? That's what he goes, and I want to bless you, and anybody who stands against you, I'll take care of it. It'll be my job to take care of that. It'll be my job to provide. It'll be my job to protect. It'll be my job to give you my presence and the blessing of it. That's what I offer you. All I ask you to do is stick with me. Is that tough? Stick with me. Follow me, would you please? And the people say, okay. And then Moses grabs this big bowl and goes, and people go, hey, 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 hey. Or did they? Do we read anywhere in here that the people start scampering away? You know why they don't? Because they knew how things happened back then. And if we were going to get into an agreement, that's the way it works. See, understand, here's kind of how it plays out. Gigi and I are going to get into an agreement. And, and understand, a covenant is more than a promise. Covenant is a serious deal. So much so that we kill an animal, usually a big one. Big ones, by the way, you probably wear the fact the bigger the animal, the more blood they normally have. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? So, so with that, we kill like an ox, and we take it and we take half of it, and we push it over here, we take the other, and we push it over here, and then I walk through my side of it, and I say, this is what I'm going to do, Gigi, blah, 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 blah. This is what I'm going to do. I walk this way, and I walk backwards. All right, here we go. And that's what I'm going to do. And then Gigi gets up and he walks through and he doesn't. And this is what we say. If I don't hold up to my end of the bargain, let what happened to this poor animal happen to me. You get that? Now understand, you, if you get that, that was the beginning of how we did things. And by the way, look at Genesis 15. That's what you're going to see right there. You understand why God says what he does about, about marriage. When he talks about how it clovers people in violence, and even in the Book of Common Prayer where it says, let no man tear asunder. We see it in Scripture, God telling us what happens. When we enter into a covenant, man, you try to tear it apart, you tear you apart. So as he covers them in blood, understand, covenants are ratified by blood. Do you think God's preparing us for something? By the Book of Hebrews, by the way, that's exactly what God says. When God speaks to us in the book of Hebrews, he tells us, by the way, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And he says that in Hebrews 9.20, so you don't have to believe me, check on your own, they tell us that the blood is the blood of a covenant that God has commanded us. But the perfect blood produces a perfect covenant and an eternal gift from the eternal God and the blood that he shed offers us an eternal covenant. And that eternal covenant is the gift of his love and forgiveness and adoption. And let me ask you, how do you improve upon that? Someone says, well, I'll trade Jesus in. How can, you know what, what, my simple question to anyone, because this happens to any of us, is how do you improve upon that? When my God loves you so much that he would shed his blood. So with that, verse 9, Moses then took Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders with him. And by the way, Exodus 6.25 will tell you that 
Aaron himself took this girl, this girl named Elisheva, the daughter of Aminadav, who was the sister of Nachshon, as his wife, and she bore him four kids. Those are the two oldest. And they saw the God of Israel. Oh, wait a minute. Doesn't God say no one can see his face and live? And it's interesting. Well, how, how does that work? I mean, if I'm looking at this and saying, well, how did they see God and live if God says no one can see my face and live? Well, first of all, God can break his own rules. We're aware of that, especially when it comes to mercy. Or is there something else? Well, interesting, because if you look at the text so far, this is what I have. In verse 1, come up to the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord said. Verse 3, the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord. Verse 10, now they saw the God of Israel. Well, who's the God of Israel? He's the Lord. Interesting, as I kind of look at this, I kind of get the idea, well, who is this? And it tells us this. He says here he's the God of Israel. If I were to look at the God of Israel, this is what I read about him. This God of Israel, when this is reiterated in Isaiah 48, it tells us that his name is the Lord of hosts. In 43.11, when God speaks about him, he says, there's no other Savior but this Lord of hosts. In 44.6, it says, by the way, listen to this, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last, Beside me, there's no God. Who did they see? They saw Jesus. And they saw Jesus here. Now, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, it'll say that, look at all they saw. They didn't even really even see his form. But that makes sense because God dwells in an approachable light. But in this it says, then, they saw his feet. And they were as if it were paved on sapphire stone. And it says then, and it was very, like the very heavens in clarity. Interesting, because when you actually get to the book of Revelation and Ezekiel, specifically Ezekiel, I'll tell you that God's throne is this very stone. And now it's his pavement. The nobles of the children of Israel did not lay a hand. It says he did, in other words, he didn't stop them from seeing. They saw God and they ate and drank. And they said, what does God look like? They couldn't tell you. But what is he like? Glorious would be his answer. Then the Lord said to Moses, now come up to me on the mountain. And there I will give you tablets of stone. And the law and the commandments which were written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And he went up to the mountain of God. After Moses had built that ninth altar that we see in Scripture so far, Moses now goes up. This time now, his, his brother, his nephews, and the elders are left underneath. And this is how it ends. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you if any man has difficulty. Remember how they're kind of handling the appellate court? Let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain, on the, in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up onto the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Follow me this. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, some of you are familiar with the fact we had the privilege of going to Sicily. Unfortunately, I had some pictures, but unfortunately they didn't make them here today. Prayerfully, I'll be able to show them to you the next time we get back into Exodus. Please hear me. It erupted while we were there. Shot a pillar of fire, seven and a half stories, a thousand meters up in the air. Unbelievably high. The sky was lit up. You could see it from, well, from Catania is ten miles away. You could see it from there. Unbelievable. 
Very foreboding. Nobody wants to get near it. Now, I don't know if you know, once it starts sending up ash, ash dries things out, which then creates a lot of static electricity. It creates its own weather pattern. It starts to funnel like a tornado, and lightning comes all over it. And I'll, and I'll show you pictures later, and it just bums me that I can't have them, but listen on it. It's like, if you get this idea, you're seeing this gigantic mountain. So turn around for a second and look at this. So we have a big, we have a big area here, right? Like this big precipice. Now understand, that's not a mountain. That wouldn't even be considered a foothill. We're aware of that, right? So you're going to multiply that by 10 just to start a mountain. That you have a 90-year-old, I'm sorry, an 80-year-old guy calling up and down. And then at the top of this whole thing, you've got this boom going on. Fire shooting out of this thing. This giant cloud happening. And that's what we're seeing. Can you imagine the lightning and the cloud? And that's what we're looking at. And we're thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not Moses. Glad I'm not going up there. And Moses is up on that hill. And here's the best part. It says that Moses was up there for six days. And this is what he was doing. You ready? This is going, boom! And fire and lightning and all of this. And Moses, on the other hand, oh, this is a little rougher, isn't it? He's just kind of sitting there. In the fog. And it says, on the seventh day, the Lord called to him. And you kind of think, well, wait a minute. I know the Lord's calling me up, but why isn't he speaking to me? Come on! He said, come up with me. I've got a date with you, an appointment with you. And you're like, awesome. I, and you know what happens? You decide what the date's going to look like, right? And any of you, by the way, who have ever gone out with anyone and they've decided what the date's going to be, there's a part of you now that goes, uh-oh. <laughs> Even if you try to make it that, it doesn't always work out that way. So, so here it is. You're the person saying it. So you're sitting there and you're going, all right, I'm sitting in the fog. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Five minutes. He hasn't spoken yet. Maybe I heard him wrong. He probably hasn't called me up here. Come on. I should go back down there. Because you know what's happening while he's down up there? People are looking around going, well, I don't know about this Moses guy that took us out of Egypt. Let's go make a cow. Not a really good place to be. And look, at maybe that's where you're at at the moment. You, you've said yes to the gift of the Lord. And you know that. And you know he's calling you out of your mundanity and your normalcy and all of those things, that, the, the, the robotic, lifeless world that you were in. And, 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 and all of a sudden, you go, all right, I'm going to get up. And now you feel like you're kind of in a fog and you're waiting. And you're not hearing anything. How long do I have to wait? Can I just say maybe, just maybe, until you're actually ready to hear? Now, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'll pick on me. I can do that well enough. But I can tell you, I know times. Let me just say it this way. Hypothetically, if you had a teenage daughter and you were going to start telling a story, but she was so convinced she knew what you were going to say that you never got more than three words of a sentence out, and she goes, oh, yeah, 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 blah, 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 and you're like, no, 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 I was going here. Oh, yeah, wait, blah, 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 no, 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 I was going here. And you're spending the whole time grabbing the wheel and pulling it back on the road. And you're like, wow, you're not in a condition right now to hear this, are you? Now, any of you who have parents of teens, you could amen. See, just, that's just a no and look, because so your daughter's right in front of you, you don't want to get in trouble. Follow me in this, please. What if that's us? And if we're actually in a place where it's like, how come you're not? Come on. Clearly we're not ready. Because God did not say, sit down and know that I'm God. And we'd think that was being a martyr. 
be still? Well, how much of me has to be still? What if God just said, let's start with your mouth? And for some of us, we'd be like, well, that ain't happening. And he goes, then let's start, then let's work with your mind and your heart. Because what if the Lord says, there's this thing I want to do, and that would be enough. You're like, oh, oh, see, God's got a thing he wants me to do. Right, I'm going to go do it. God's like, whoa, 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 I haven't even said what it is yet. Six days? I'm just sitting there, and you think, wow. Now, I don't want to be crude, but it's like, sooner or later, you have to like get up and go to the bathroom. Am I going to miss it? Hey, were you talking to me? Let's make it worse. You get to the New Testament. Jesus said, stick here and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've never read the chapter. There's no tongues in our head. What we think is, when I think of the power of the Holy Spirit, God empowered people for ministry. The world was changed because one person got lit up and now there's 120 of us. We're all going to get that power? What do you think that's going to happen to the world when he used one person to change the whole world? All right? Don't leave until, you got, until I empower you. And then I'll go, well, what's that going to look like? Or whatever, we don't know. So what happens? We all go, and it says there's like a, roughly 120 of us, and we're in a room praying. All right? So we start praying. All right, you ready for the power of the Lord? Yeah, ready for the power. Yeah, we're going to be mighty men. Yeah, we're going to take on the world. Yeah, don't miss with us. We'll be men of God with power. Power. An hour later, power, power, power. Then like three hours later, our voice is, oh, I can't even talk now. It tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon him at Pentecost. Jesus had spent 10 days with his disciples and then ascended. Well, 40 days with his disciples, I'm sorry, and then ascended. Are you with me on that? 40 days. Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. So do the simple math. How many days are in between? Well, if there were 40 days Jesus spent with them, but Pentecost is 50 days away, what's the difference? 10 days. 10 days. 10 days we're waiting. 10 days. So there's Peter. There's Matthew. There's Simon. The zealot. And we're there and we're praying. Well, is there a part where we start going, 10 days, think, 10 days. Do we think, maybe we have it and we didn't know. Would you think that? Well, I don't know. What's it going to look like? Well, Jesus said, listen, what Jesus said is, when we receive that power, we'll be witnesses to him. We'll be evidence. Do you feel like a witness? Do you feel like a, I don't really feel any different. Should I feel different? And so we're praying, all right. And all of a sudden, Lucas is there. But Luke wasn't one. Well, we don't know, but doesn't say what. But all of a sudden we hear, wah, 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 because his stomach rattles. We go, oh, maybe that was it. That was it. <laughs> no, it was just this, right? And so we're praying and we're praying. When the Holy Spirit does come upon him, we don't doubt it. And at that point, one of us might go, told you it wasn't going to be that sound. Come on. But how many of those days do you need before you actually stop telling God what you're going to do with his power? How he's going to validate you with it? Do you get it? Look, I want to go to prayer now, but, I, but look, please hear me on this. 
The Lord isn't calling, just calling you to move. He's first calling you to Him. So much so that He'd send Jesus to say, look at all the debt you owe, all the guilt and the shame you carry, I will take off of you and nail to the cross and it'll stay there when we bury it. But as He resurrects, there's a new life. And now that there's a new life, you go, now what? And He says, now I'm calling you up. Calling you up to what? I'm calling you up to bring other people with you. I'm calling you up so that I can sit and be with you. But part of that is I'm going to call you up to get you quiet so that I can say now that that's the case. And you know what he's going to do when he gets them up there? The first thing he's going to say, now listen, he says, now, listen, listen, listen. The first thing he says is now make me a sanctuary so I can live with you. That's the first thing. He says, now can I make my home with you? Is that a weird thing to hear in a moment like that? No, not if you're a Christian. It's like, if I can get you quiet now that you've said yes to me, says, look, the next thing is, this is about you and me now. That's it. And that's the way this works. And if your relationship with God has gone to somewhere else, then you've never really heard, well, even if you've heard the call, maybe you haven't quieted yourself enough to hear his voice say, this is about us now. Forever now, this is us. Can I make my home with you? That's the first thing he's going to say. So here's how we pray. First of all, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, maybe you're not sure you have, I'd like to invite you to that simple gift of accepting Christ's gift on your behalf. Secondly, if you have accepted that gift, I would love the honor today of just challenging you today to let the Lord call you up. There will be nothing, listen, 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 there will be nothing in your life, nothing in your life that will become secular. I just want to warn you. There'll be no area of your life that will be segmented as secular. It doesn't matter what it is. You're going to study with Christ. You're going to work with Christ. You're going to ride your bike with Christ. You're going to jog with Christ. You go, that sounds weird. It doesn't once you get up there and get quiet. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I know there's so much more that could be said, but I know you said what you wanted to. And you said, come up. To those who've said yes, who've taken the call upon themselves that you call them to, you say, we, we want to say yes. We recognize that starts, though, with you taking us out of Egypt, taking us out of that bondage, out of that, out of that filth, taking us out of our guilt. And for that to happen, there must be a death of the firstborn, and there must be a, the slaughtering of the lamb. Jesus, thank you for being that son. Thank you for being that lamb that you would choose to be slaughtered on my behalf so that I could actually be delivered out of my bondage because I can't go up in Egypt. And so for every person here who has yet to say yes to Jesus, you're not sure where you can walk out of here, sure. It's simple. We say yes to the gift of this Christ his death on the cross on our behalf, and his resurrection to offer us new life, confessing him as Lord. And here it is. I'm going to pray a prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, yes, let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. 
God, I may not understand everything, but I do know this much, that if you really love me and you really want me and you want to pay for my sins and you want to pay for all my wrong and you want to cleanse me and give me your innocence for my guilt, then I would be stupid to say no. So I say yes. I say yes to your gift of Jesus at the cross. I say yes to his resurrection and your right to adopt me and my surrender to make Jesus Lord of my life as my resurrected King. So have me now, I pray. Deliver me from all bondage. You tell me that anyone who sins is a slave to it. Lord, I want to be delivered from the bondage. I want to be set free from my enemy. And in that, I want to be clinging to you and be brought to you like you would call me to. So I say yes. Have me now, I pray. Please have me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. And Lord, right now I pray for every person in here who they just, they've been trying to somehow just live in the wilderness and you want to call them up. And and today they know you're calling them up out of the overcast, out of the storm, over the storm to a place, Lord, that is so much higher where we see eternity. Please, Lord, today, I just want to stand as priest and just say, please, Lord, do that in us. Make us everything you call us to be. Bring us up, Lord, that we may be intimate with you. And in that, Lord, make your home as our king in us. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to say yes as we surrender to you now in your name, Jesus. Amen.